This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. The minister Norman Vincent Peale inspired millions with his famous book, The Power of Positive Thinking. The religious self-help text encouraged readers to visualize their success and recite daily affirmations. Peel famously said, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll fall among the stars. James certainly had his eyes pointed skyward on New Year's Day of 1949. He lived in Evergreen Park, Illinois, and was a bit of an eccentric. On January 1st, he marched down to the Cook County office for the recorder of deeds and titles with one simple request. He wanted to register his own country. James didn't own any vast plots of land, and he hadn't conquered any neighboring towns. He wanted to colonize a place that had yet to be claimed by anyone else. He called his new country the Nation of Celestial Space. Celestia, for short. Its borders extended into infinity. All anyone had to do was look up. His new micronation was outer space itself. His official title would be the founder and first representative of Celestia. The country's initial members were made up of James's own family. He declared his wife the Empress of Celestia, of course, and his brother Glenn was originally named the Earl of Mars, but was eventually promoted to the Marquis of the Red Planet. Naturally, few people outside of his inner circle took his claim seriously. It's possible that his family was even just humoring him, but that didn't stop James from trying to prove Celestia's validity among more established countries. The ethnic groups said to inhabit Celestia were bundled into one large category called humanity, and it claimed English as its official language. As for location, well, the country could be found all over the universe, except on Earth, of course. For years, James worked to increase Celestia's recognition among the world's superpowers. He issued a statement in 1949 to leaders of the United States, United Kingdom, Soviet Union, and the United Nations that there would be no further atmospheric nuclear tests in Celestia. Most nations ignored him, but a few paid attention. They had no choice, like when he unveiled the official flag of Celestia in 1958. The blue flag featured a musical sharp symbol set against a circle of white, and the event was aired on national television. The day after the broadcast, the flag was officially raised outside the United Nations building in New York. But he didn't stop there. Celestia had its own official stamps and currency, too. Gold and silver coins were minted, featuring the image of James's daughter Ruth on one side. The gold coins amounted to one Celestan each, while the silver coins were called jewels, named after the scientific unit of energy. James even had plans to enter the real estate business by selling large swaths of space to eager buyers. 
By May of 1949, 400 applicants had signed up to each buy one space lot the size of Earth for the princely sum of $1. By the time the space riot got into full swing between the United States and the Soviet Union, James started getting territorial. He penned letters against both nations, claiming that they were on the verge of trespassing on his land. He eventually relented, though, and allowed the U.S. to send their satellites into orbit. James Thomas Mangan did get to see a man walk on the moon, but sadly his dream of living among the stars would never be realized. He died in 1970 at the age of 73. Celestia sort of died with him, too. The flag eventually came down outside the United Nations, the coins and stamps were bought up by collectors, and Celestia was all but forgotten. Except for Mangan's children and grandchildren, who continue to hold their royal titles today, His daughter Ruth is the Princess of the Nation of Celestial Space, and his three grandsons are the Duke of Selenia, the Duke of Mars, and the Duke of the Milky Way. It sure beats having a star named after them. After all, their titles demonstrate the most important rule in real estate. Location, location, location. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Today, almost everyone on Earth has a camera in their pockets. Thanks to the ubiquity of smartphones and modern technology, we can't go a day without capturing a snapshot of our daily lives. You know, very important things like the food on our plates or a new pair of shoes and lots and lots of dogs. The idea of carrying a camera at all times is a fairly modern construct, though. Back in 1983, it probably would have been handy to have one at the ready, 
especially if your name was Owen Burnham. Burnham was a young teen from Britain, visiting West Africa with his family. The 14-year-old was walking along the beach with his father, sister, and brother one morning when he noticed a creature buried in the sand. It had washed ashore in the middle of the night, and two locals were in the process of removing its head, which they planned to sell to tourists. Burnham wanted to record his finding, but he didn't have a camera with him. Instead, he took extensive written notes of the creature's measurements. According to him, it was roughly 16 feet long from end to end. The tail alone measured five feet in length. Each flipper was about a foot and a half long. The top half of the body was a muddy brown color which faded away to white down closer to the tail. And inside its jaws, Burnham said he counted 80 razor-sharp teeth. Locals assumed it was a dolphin due to its smooth skin and elongated snout. But Burnham noticed several inconsistencies in its structure. For one, the tail wasn't triangular like a dolphin's. It was rounded on the end, more like a rudder, and the creature also lacked a blowhole. Burnham continued to record as much about the thing as quickly as he could. There was its deep red flesh, visible from the wound caused when its rear flipper was ripped away from its body. Its reproductive organs were also too mangled to determine the animal's sex. The beast's nostrils were located at the tip of its beak, and it had no trace of a dorsal fin. By the time he finished writing everything down, the two African men who had been trying to remove the creature's skull had finally succeeded. Burnham thought about buying it for himself as proof of his discovery, but he had no way to bring it back home to England. He stuck around on the beach, though, asking local fishermen what they thought the creature was. Again, dolphin was the common response, but Burnham wasn't convinced. Its size, shape, and general makeup didn't look like any dolphin he had ever seen before. Some biologists disagreed. Some said that it was a dolphin, but its flukes had worn off. Others claimed that it was actually a shepherd's beaked whale. The sizes lined up for sure. Shepherd's beaked whales were known to grow as long as 23 feet, and their coloring was also similar to the animal he found. But according to Burnham's notes, the tribes of the Gambia didn't make up names for the new creatures they saw. If it looked enough like a dolphin, that's what they would call it, even if it was a whale or something else entirely. While everyone else assumed that it was a dolphin, Burnham noticed its striking similarity to much older animals, such as the Pylosaur and the Chronosaurus, and cryptozoologists agreed. They hypothesized that it could have been anything from a Mosasaur to an Ichthyosaurus, or any other kind of ancient aquatic reptile. Without photographic evidence, though, there's no way to know for sure what Burnham saw that morning, if he saw anything at all. His notes, after all, could have been nothing more than a hoax, something to keep a bored teenager's attention on a slow summer day. After the head was removed, the rest of the body was buried in the sand. Scientists returned to the beach in the 1990s to dig up its carcass for confirmation, but nothing remained. It had either rotted away or been destroyed by the police station that had later been built right on top of it. Nobody knows the truth about the creature they call the Gambo. Nobody except Owen Burnham, of course, and the tourist who bought the skull that day in 1983. Now that's one skull I'd love to see in a cabinet of curiosities. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the cabinet of curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show 
and you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.